Welcome to the Atlanta Foodcast. Stories from the people who are making Atlanta the greatest city for eaters. I'm your host, Ben Getz. Scott Surpaz has done something that no one else in the city can claim. He opened his flagship restaurant, Surpaz, in Old Fourth Ward long before the Beltline was paved and scooters were zipping by. And to say that Scott is a fixture of Atlanta dining hardly does him justice. He really saw something in the east side of our city that wasn't there before. And now, having over 10 years as a restaurant and a long line of faithful diners, Scott has built some great recognition for his southern cuisine that's influenced by his upbringing and heritage from southern Louisiana. And now, Scott and his team continue to introduce things to the city that are all based around eating good food. They opened Dixie Q a while back in Brookhaven, and they're serving up some damn good barbecue for everyone. And we caught up at the restaurant on a weekday so I could hear his story. So, here's Chef Scott Surpaz of Surpaz True Food and Dixie Q. Um, it smells really good in here, by the way. Thanks, appreciate I, it. I love that you can't get rid of the smoke. You know, <laughs> it's kind of in the walls. Yeah, I mean, the... it's like it's always like it, it's always on you or yeah. it's on whatever you're uh, whatever you're around. That's what I love about barbecue, mm-hmm. especially. Um, yeah, there's this place that where my wife is from. She's from Northeast Georgia, and it is, gosh, my bar h it's literally called bar h and it's like everybody knows everybody you mm-hmm. know this, this awesome little hometown and my father-in-law just takes me into the smoke pit like yeah. just waves at the owner and like hey come on back <laughs> you know and then walks me through the smoke pit he opens the smoker I'm like, right Are you allowed to be well, back people, here? well people are c- curious about it even they <laughs> hear it executing yeah hey can yeah. i see the smoker and you know yeah you think i do everything off a of green egg but i said no it's not that small <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah, our operation's a little <laughs> larger than one big yeah. green egg. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but Scott Surpus, welcome Thank to the you. Atlanta Foodcast. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you. Like, I, I have this fear of botching people's last names. Am I Surpaz? Surpaz. 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 Okay. Um, I've always wondered that. You know, yeah. I, have, I just have a I have a, a very innate fear of botching people's last names and. Um, Sometimes first names, but you know, I just yeah, want to yeah. make sure that I get it right. No, so, absolutely. It's fine. Um, Perfect. But you you are a fixture of Atlanta dining, and there's a lot for us to cover. You know, I mean, between uh, where we're actually sitting right now, Dixie Q, which is really more like your your most recent venture, but then talking about Surpass in Inman Park or Old Fourth Ward. Correct. And which one do you say? I Old always, Fourth Ward. I was going to say, like, I, I I'm s- right there on the border, right on the, right yeah. on the cusp. So I'm yeah. between, the, there's the belt line between us and Inman Park. Yeah. So <clears> it's, <throat> it, it's like right right on there where I would uh, I would have difficulty like how staunchly opposed are you to saying you live in Inman Park or Old Fourth Ward it's like you can kind of you know play a game of catch like across yeah I think you know I think Old Fourth Ward is a lot more hip you know I think it's a lot more (laughs) totally um, yeah it's definitely coming back you know yeah been coming back for the past few years so yeah for sure and there's there's so much that I want to hear about your perspective of dining in Atlanta over the years. And before we get to that, I want to get to know you a little bit and I want to hear some about your background. So sure. you get the first question that everybody gets on the show. So <laughs> tell me who cooked for you growing up and what kind of cook was he uh, or she? My mom and dad, you know, so growing up in New Orleans, um, as you can tell from my accent, uh, one of five, I'm, some, I'm the baby, I'm the little one. Um, you wouldn't know it from the size of me, but um, <laughs> but yeah, my mom was a, the cook cooked every day of the week pretty much we didn't go out very often um and my dad was like more of a seasonal cook you know he did the crawfish bowls he did soft show crabs we did um you know dressings and different uh shrimp melaton and 
uh, crab eggplant stuffing for Thanksgiving. And he, so he was more of the specialty kind of guy. That when the seasons came around, he was all about that. Yeah. Um, we would. I remember doing crawfish bowls every year, like multiple, mm-hmm. multiple crawfish bowls. When it was in the season for the pet, you know, for three months, we'd have a crawfish bowl like every week, if not every other weekend. Um, and we'd just go along. And as the season, you know, got more intense, the crawfish would be bigger. And we'd, cl- we'd save all this, the large heads. And we'd clean the face off and keep the shells and freeze them. And then the next time we'd save a lot of cra- crawfish meat. And then we'd get to a point where we made stuffed crawfish. It's, um, the stuffed crawfish, uh, I think, crawfish A2, not crawfish A2 fed, but it was like a stuffed crawfish head, you know? Yeah. It, was, it was really good. It, we did it once crawfish, a year. I love crawfish, man. Yeah. I love crawfish. And then my mom was more of the traditional red beans and rice and, you know, lasagna and mac and cheese and <clears throat> that kind of thing, uh, you know, roast and meatloaf. And, you know, we did red beans and rice on Monday because it was always a traditional thing in Louisiana. You did red beans and rice. Monday was laundry day, so it's easy. You put a pot of beans on in the morning, <laughs> let it go slow and low. Yep for like five or six hours. And then my, bed, my dad was big into calves a little bit for her. So he had liver with the red beans and rice, but I wasn't too hip on the calves a little bit at the time. So yeah. I grew but. up uh, not being a fan of liver either. And I'm still not today. I mean, it's uh, it's a very acquired taste, yeah. depending on where you go. I love chicken livers. I yeah. mean, I love to make chicken liver yeah. mousse. And I feel like just like the, the level of iron is so uh, different wherever, you know, you can yeah. get it. And yeah. sometimes it's just... It's beyond like the gamey flavor. Yeah, like, I know you saw it. It's a little irony, yeah. but the chicken livers totally. I kind of you know yeah, I, yeah. I saute them out with shallots and garlic and yeah. Then I then I finish them with a little bit of heavy cream and it's got some honey in it and some um, sherry. So kind of play it a little bit to kind of yeah. soften the irony flavor of the yeah. livers. If it's in like a rillette, it's usually pretty good. Uh-huh. Like I can handle it there because there's a lot of stuff right, going yeah. on there. You know, it's uh, it's just kind of like the uh, it's kind of like the garbage plate kind of everything all in one right. so thanks for laughing at that valerie i appreciate that <laughs> i'm a funny guy um not at all. <laughs> um but tell me about what was uh what was it like growing up in southern louisiana um so you know it's pretty typical typical uh lifestyle of a kid just hanging up in the neighborhood i lived in pondsville new orleans east kind of i don't know if everybody knows what new orleans east is but close to the lakefront airport um like i said one of five and um grew up catholic Catholic grammar school, Catholic high school, didn't what I wanted to do. Um, found myself busting tables when I was, you know, after, after high school. Um, and then I found myself really gravitating towards the kitchen a lot. Um, the kitchen that, you know, the restaurant I worked at, the cooks, they had a chef, but he was more of a lead line cook, so to say. Um, and they would every weekend be in the back of the dry storage and gambling, playing cards, <laughs> that kind of thing, smoking <laughs> cigarettes. And, you know, I kind of, that's kind of, what I grew up in, and I, you know, every time I wanted to learn and see something, he wanted me to pay him, and I'm like, I'm not paying you for, to teach me something. So um, <laughs> I found out about culinary school, and that's what he thought he was running was a culinary yeah, school. Exactly. He should pay me for this education. <laughs> you don't need to go to CIA. No, exactly. So you know, uh, it would be a club at night too. So it was a restaurant from from five to ten, and then at night you would have this club, and they'd blow the smoke in, and it'd be like a club atmosphere, and. And so all the cooks would punch out if you finished cooking, and they would, like I said, play cards in the back and go gambling, and you know, so it was that lifestyle kind of thing. And um, I took a, um, what, found out about a culinary school, Delgado Community College in New Orleans has a culinary arts program. And what's good about it was it was a three-year arts culinary arts program, and you worked one day a week, and the rest of the time, I'm sorry, you went to school one day a week, and the rest of the time you, you worked, you had to have a job, so you knew right away whether you wanted to do it or not, whether yeah. it was in your blood, you know. So if you didn't find a job, they would find you a job. Wow. And then uh, I took this, well, first of all, I took the, the, they had a taste and smell test. I didn't pass. 
Oh, so wow. I'm like, oh, this is going to be tough. So I said, well, how am I, how am I going to get in? So they said, well, you, you know, you know, get in a restaurant somehow, become a dishwasher, grow it away, or get a, go get a, take a food prep class and show us some incentive and that you really want to be here. So I went to another college and took a food prep class. It was me and a bunch of girls, which was fine. And, you know, stayed in Ed for a semester and partied and hung out and took like two or three classes and then went back to New Orleans next semester. I showed them what I did and they said, oh, you, you know, you, you might have the passion, you might have the you know, sense of wanting to be in a kitchen. So I did that. Got into school and got a job at Mr. B's in New Orleans on Royal and Iberville and did that for a year and a half. And then I went to Meridian, learned because I wanted to be kind of well-rounded. So I worked at Mr. B's, I worked at Alger's Landing on the West Bank. Uh, then I worked at La Meridian on Canal and I worked in the pastry department. So I wanted to see a little bit more of everything, not just, you know, and Mr. B's was pretty, pretty hectic. You know, it was pretty, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of tourist um, area and we did it. They did a really nice job. They really knew how to run a restaurant. It was a really restaurant family, the Brennan family, and um, I learned a lot from them. And really good, good chefs. I worked under Gerard Maris and Udo, um, some really talented guys. And you know, it really taught you that sense of urgency and passion, and you know what it takes to to work in a kitchen. And you knew right away, like this is for me. It's not for me because they put you through the grinder. I mean, it was tough, um, but I loved it. I mean, I, I really, you know, had a sense of being there. You know, and um, did that for a year and a half, then I went to the Meridian Hotel, and then I'm like, all right, I need to get out of New Orleans, I need to see something else. So um, a guy I worked with on the line of Mr. B's, he moved to Dallas, and I got in touch with him, and uh, he said, well, we don't have, a, he was working at the mansion on Turtle Creek, he said, we don't have a spot open here, but my brother at Baby Ruth has a, is a chef there, and he might be able to have a spot there for you. So um, applied, he talked to him on the phone, interviewed, and he said, all right, well, can, you know, I can pay you, I think I was making seven at the time. 750. He said, I can pay you 50 cents more. I said, all right, I'll be there <laughs> two weeks. So I packed up my bags in New Orleans and went to uh, Dallas, lived in Dallas for four years, and then uh, learned, to work, learned, learned a lot at Baby Ruth. Um, it's kind of a Southwest cuisine, so it was kind of eclectic too as well. So we had some Asian, but it was more Southwestern. You learned a lot of indigenous ingredients of the Southwest, mm-hmm. uh, which was really cool, the different chilies and stuff. And all the things that come from that, that area, that region of the country. Um, and then after four years, we moved, uh, he got the chance to open up Nava in Bucket. So I moved back here in Atlanta in 94 and opened up Nava. Uh, the hell of a year to move to Atlanta. Yeah, right before the Olympics. <laughs> right. It was fun though, it was a good time. Yeah. Um, so did that, moved here in 94 and stayed for about three years. Um, and then I went home, I got a chance to work at Mike's on the Avenue, it was a Southwestern restaurant with a little bit of Louisiana cuisine. It was on St. Charles, uh, so I was the chef de cuisine at Mike Sunny Avenue. Um, I worked there for about a year and a half. Sorry, I mean, I'll get it. it's just... Uh, <laughs> Dixie Q? Who's this? Yeah. Yeah, we're closed on Monday, so I'm really sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah. Um, so we did that for like a you know, uh, year and a half, but nothing really changed. I was always at work, didn't really get to get the family functions, and you know, just nothing changed much in New Orleans, you know? So I was there for like a year and a half, and then I got opportunity to move back here in 98, um, opened up a place called Sia's up in North Fulton next to St. Ives Country Club and Country Club of the South. Um, did that, opened that up. It was a great opportunity for me to open a restaurant by myself as the chef. Um, and we had a good run at it. I was there for four years and opened up Mitra, which is on Juniper, the same group, mm-hmm. um, with Sia Mosque. And he was a great guy, really, really knew his stuff. Um, and then I uh, got approached by Bob Amick at Turban Licks while I was there, and uh, he wanted me to be a chef at Turban Licks and moved back to the city 
So I took a chance and, and uh, I was like, wow, this is huge. 9,000 square feet and 300 plus seats. And it's a big restaurant. Yeah, it's huge. It really it's is. It's massive. When you walk by in the Beltline, I think everybody that you know is visiting, they're just like, oh, that's really quaint. Yeah. How nice. You can eat on the Beltline. You walk inside. I mean, that was the first thing. And it's been years since I've dined at to urban but mm-hmm. first time that i walked in there i was like this place is huge yeah it's, it's a massive. lot of seats it's a lot of seats it's intimidating yeah but mm-hmm. um and that's the first time i really got int- introduced to the belt line when i when i kind of had the vision of like hey, what's going on back here and they said oh well this is that was in 2004 oh wow uh we opened that in october i want to say um and he kind of showed me what was going to go on, but again, it was covered in kudzu, the whole hills and all right. of that stuff. And yeah. I really couldn't <laughs> visualize it, but you right. know, he explained to me a little bit about what the belt line was going to be. Um, so that was good. It was a great experience to get back in the city um, and worked there for four years, four or five years. And then I, and then I got a chance to um, open up Serpez in, in 09. So I uh, looked around for like a year around the city. I looked on the west side and this um, a spot came available in Studioplex. Uh, in the pavilion, right, like I said, right up against the belt line. And uh, so took a chance and opened up in uh, 09. So that's a hell of a timeline, man. Yeah. That's so cool. I, I love that you have, yeah, I mean, you're from New Orleans and you spent, or you're from Louisiana, you spent so much time in New Orleans and then Dallas, Atlanta, back to New Orleans, back to Atlanta. Mm. And, you know, moving here in 94 and then having so much around the city you have to have a really interesting perspective on watching dining and Atlanta culture kind of collide and then turn into, I mean, having a restaurant that, I mean, January was 10 years for yes, Serpaz. that's correct. And um, that's, uh, that's got to be pretty amazing to watch because, I mean, there's, there's only a handful. I mean, you know, Turbin is one of them. I mean, uh, Miller Union turns yeah. uh, 10 in November, I believe, you know, and, but different parts of the city, you know, and that has to be such an interesting perspective to have as memory. You right. know, if I was working in a restaurant before the Beltline was really even walkable. Yeah. You, know, you get bitten by a, you know, copperhead or something yeah. when you're <laughs> walk on the Beltline. But, exactly. Um, what, but what stands out? Like what, what was like, what was it like? I mean, in the, in the nineties and early two thousands, like working in Atlanta. It was interesting. You know, like I said, when I moved here in 94, um, Nava wasn't ready yet. So we had like six months. I worked at the diner. I worked at the bucket diner for six months. And then Kevin worked at, um, the fish market. Oh, wow. And that was fun. You know, that was fun. You know, worked at the diner and uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of seats, a lot of covers. It's a big menu. Yeah, it's a big <laughs> menu. Um, so going from Southwest Cuisine in Dallas to working at the Bucket Diner. Yeah. Um, and then and then we got in, opened in, uh, I want to say April of 94, 95. I think it was April of, around April. It was in the spring of 95 we opened up. And then we had a big dinner with some of the, you know, Bobby Flay came in. We did an opening dinner with him and some, a couple of uh, celebrity chefs. And that was fun. And then the, and then the Olympics were right right there. And uh, yeah. it was amazing, you know, to see the torch being run right down Peachtree right in front of Nava. And, wow. you know, the massive amount of people that we did every night. And Nava was very successful, you know, very unique to, at the time to Atlanta because we never, never had really Southwest cuisine here um, to speak of. Um, so... A lot of fun, you know, growing, learning a lot of stuff and just, just keeping your head down and as learning as much as you can, keep your mouth shut and just do what they say, you know? <laughs> yeah, for good. sure. But Not man, that way nowadays, though. It's a different story now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say. Um, but, man, and you make it all the way to 2009 and you have the opportunity to open Surpass, like your own place, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, kind of from the ground up, you get to build your own restaurant, your own menu. I mean, 
not, I don't know that it sounds fun, but building your own staff and (laughs) it's, it's a challenge. It's challenging. Yeah. Yeah. But talk to me about like the early days of Surpass. Yeah. Well, early days of 09, you know, it wasn't the greatest, greatest economy. It's kind of tough. Um, but like I said, it was kind of a good thing for me. Um, that way I didn't have any expectations, you know, it wasn't like I was doing really well. And a year later I was like, wow, what happened here? I, I started from, you know, like, you know, like nothing. And, and every day was just a grind, you know? So you just had to get up with a positive attitude and watch food costs, watch labor costs, make sure you control consistency and just grind it every day and just make sure that we, you know, you put a great product out and make sure the staff's up prepared. And, you know, one of my mentors always said, it's not one thing that makes a great restaurant. It's a thousand little things. And it's so yeah. true, you know, so true that, totally. I mean, it's whether it's the light bulbs out, the valets giving attitude, the hostess when he's being first being met, you know, the steak's overcooked, salty, staffing. I mean, there's a lot of things that that are really you have to control and you have to keep an eye on, you know. So it's not one thing that makes a great restaurant. It's a thousand little things, and it's so true. So, you know, um, it, they took me in, though. I mean, the old fourth world was very happy to have me there, and I was excited to start out, you know, um, Serpaz in Old Fourth Ward in Studio Plex, and it's been, you know, it's been a great ride. You know, I mean, like I said, the first two or three years were kind of tough, but I didn't really feel it because – I didn't really have an expectation what it was going to be like. So every day was a new day for me, you know, and uh, until I got that year under my belt. Um, yeah. But it was great, though. I had yeah. a lot of fun. Talk to me about the inspiration. I mean, how much of that really came from, I mean, obviously being a very Louisiana-inspired, mm-hmm. just from the menu, but, you know, was it was it more from your childhood? Like, how did you want to build the menu? Um, just to see, you know, just some different places I've worked before in the past and, you know, just reading cookbooks and seeing what was out there and what was, you know, true to my heart, I guess. And what I really was inspired to do was take some things that I grew up on in Louisiana. Um, there's the flash fried, uh, flash fried oysters, the eggplant hush puppies. We used to do like an eggplant dressing. So I kind of turned it into a hush puppy. Um, and then some of the natural things, like it's not a full on Louisiana Cajun style restaurant, but like throughout the year, the fried oysters are, the hush puppies probably would be. Um, we do have a, we make our andouille sausage. So we do a pig in a blanket. It's kind of fun. And then we have beignets on the menu. Uh, salmon the f- chips. Salmon chips. Yeah, dude. Yeah, the smoked salmon <laughs> chips are popular. Yeah. The tuna tartare is very popular. But those are not really Louisiana. Uh, but then when it gets cooler, I do uh, gumbo, whether yeah. it's duck, uh, chicken and sausage or, uh, you know, seafood with mm-hmm. shrimp and crab. And, um, you know, in Louisiana, you eat gumbo all year round pretty much. But, yeah. you know, here is a little bit more of the fall and spring type yeah. um, seasons. So. But it's a lot of fun, you know, we have fun playing with the menu. And nowadays, it's it, and it's changed again. So we're, we're seeing that people are looking for a little bit more kind of a faster menu, smaller plates. Yeah. You know, not not as heavy of entrees and, you know, uh, priced accordingly. So we got to, you know, work that out a little bit, too, as well now. Yeah. You know, and it's it, there's another question I had for you. And just thinking about Louisiana-style or New Orleans-style cuisine, I think... A lot of people have one thing probably when they think of new, maybe not one thing, but you know, a lot of people might just gravitate towards like, oh, it's just like gumbo and yeah, maybe like a po' boy. And it's like, and yeah, it's like everything. Yeah. Everything's made with a roux. Yeah. Everything's made with a roux. Mm-hmm. And you toil over this giant pot of stuff for just hours and hours. Kind of like barbecue. It's mm-hmm. it's all about like how long it takes makes it even taste even right. better. Um, but, uh, you know, kind of like Southern cuisine, a lot of people just think it's, you know, collard greens and fried chicken right, and fried cafe, yeah. maybe barbecue, but everything is, um, you know, generally like unhealthy. But I mean, I've been introduced to Southern cuisine in so many different ways after living in Atlanta and it's been six years, mm-hmm. you know, that I've been here in the city and, um, some of my favorite meals are really 
vegetable forward. Mm. It's it's all about agriculture, right. you know, which is not the typical introduction you get to southern cuisine. But right. give me your give me your perspective on New Orleans style or Louisiana style cuisine. Well, I mean, it, you know, it definitely has evolved. You know, I mean, you go to different restaurants. Where you, when I get home, I do see try to go to some different local places that have just opened up and seeing what they're doing with the cuisine and how their uh, influences are and stuff. And um, it's definitely gotten lighter. You know, you definitely go to old school places and they have the po' boys and they have gumbo and they have jambalaya and they have etouffee and they have, you know, that kind of thing. And you can get that everywhere and anywhere. Um, but it's the places that have opened up and kind of taken another path and, and uh, really uh, challenged themselves as well as the city because yeah. everybody's palate in New Orleans is pretty New Orleans style driven. Yeah. The, the old school things I was just mentioned. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I just, it's just a different take on it and maybe pulling back on some of the, you know, people think Louisiana food and it's real heavy with cream and butter and like you said, roux and stuff. So, um, it's all a, it's all a matter of perception. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> I mean, people love it though. I mean, you can't, you know, people love to go to New Orleans and visit and just the whole culture and the history and everything. And, um, but there's a lot more to Louisiana than just its food and, um, it's just, I don't know. It's a party city. You know, you, you can't, yeah. you can't, lo- you can't, you love it. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's just, it's one yeah. of those things. Climate wise, very similar to what I remember in Florida, but yeah. maybe somehow, very humid. yeah, somehow more humid, but it yeah. was just, it, it, everything was kind of cut by just how much culture. I mean, I've only been to New Orleans once, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, it was, it was so evident just how much history and just how many people have really used it as uh-huh. that, as that box to check of I've had a new Orleans experience, right. you know, maybe that's really good or really bad. It depends on what type of debauchery experience. you're after, yeah. but mine was all food based mm-hmm. and it was uh, magnificent. And it was also in the deep heat of summer too. Right. I think it was probably like late July uh-huh. and my wife and I are like, why did we decide to drive through <laughs> like Texas and then Louisiana yeah. in like July? Like we should have just gone in, you know, like January. Yeah. yeah, totally. Or gone some, yeah, gone somewhere <laughs> else. We'll come back when it's not so hot. I was there but. last week and it's just, you know, it's, you know, living in Atlanta and, and it's a great city. I love Atlanta. Um, but going home to Louisiana and just my brother-in-law and my, my sister live on the bayou and jumping in a boat and seeing alligators and going crabbing and catching redfish. Yeah. Like right there. It's not like, Oh, we got to drive an hour in a car to get to the boat and then drive another hour in a boat. But no, I mean, everything's right. I mean, it's just, that's what I call it. The sportsman's paradise. You know, it is, yeah. it's so true that what they have there is just, it's, it's a, it's yeah. nature, you know, it's like, uh, I don't know. It's, it's hard to get around. You yeah. Know? So it's great though. Yeah. It's funny. Like when you take off on a plane, uh, in Florida, most of what you see is just water, mm-hmm. bodies of water, lots of lakes, little ponds. And, um, it, it's so funny in Louisiana, especially Southern Louisiana mm-hmm. or around new Orleans. Um, and I've only flew into new Orleans once. Um, but it's really the more the overabundance of water and the lack of land that you see yeah. when you take off. You're like, how? It's like, it's like there's one road <laughs> and like, it's kind of like driving across like the, uh, like Okeechobee in uh-huh. Southern Florida. <laughs> it's like, where's the land at? Yeah. You know? So it's, um, it's, it's very cool similar though. To, yeah. Know, like, they live across the lake. So you cross the causeway, which is like 26 miles this bridge. And yeah. I know. Like, and that's uh, that's like a perfect example of like, that's, that's what I have stuck in my mind of like mm-hmm. just the landscape, like very flat, but yeah. just tons of water. Yeah. A lot of water. Yeah. If you fall into the water, you're probably going to die. <laughs> so biggest alligator you've ever seen. But um, anyway, back to Atlanta uh-huh. and Surpaz. So uh, we touched on this briefly, but you know, 10 years that just passed for you in January and I think one year is a major feather in your cap, you know, of just, man, we made it 365 yeah. days in business and business is 
growing or it's, you know, studied growth. And then you hit, you know, two years and right. then five years and then everything after that. But hitting 10 is, is kind of like, you know, a silver or gold anniversary for a lot of restaurants. Yeah. And, um, especially here in Atlanta, like we have, it's kind of an odd spectrum. There's some restaurants that have been around for like 40 plus years and like some things like, um, that are really you know, staples mm. of Atlanta. They've been around for so long. Mary Max Tea Room, right. the Varsity, mm. Busy Bee Cafe, um, the Majestic Diner. You know, some of these places have been around for so long, but 10 years is uh, for, for modern cuisine, like, mm. you know, more modern day Atlanta. Um, that's a, that's a big achievement. Yeah. That's a really big achievement. I, I really didn't realize it at the time when we, you know, had our 10 year version. I'm like, wow, it's been 10 years and I just, I don't know. I didn't really think about it. I didn't yeah. make too much of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess it was in a stockpot too long or just, I was just <laughs> too focused on what I was doing. I don't know. But, um, you're still cooking rue after 10 yeah. years, <laughs> you know, it takes you that long. Yeah. <laughs> Low and slow. It's like this yeah. barbecue I'm doing now. So, right. But yeah, I mean, it, you know, I guess it's a great accomplishment. You know, I know back in 09 when I opened up, they said, man, one out of 10 restaurants make it. I don't know what it is now, but it's, uh, it's definitely a challenge. Totally. You know, it's definitely a challenge. You get a lot yeah. of... But I, th- I think you guys have, I mean, just from what I've experienced, I mean, and I've only dined at, you know, Surpass like mm-hmm. a handful of times over the years, but um, but it really does, it, it really does have the the feel of it's it is more of like a, a place that's built on being a local first restaurant. Mm-hmm. Like people come back, you know, multiple right. times, like it's multiple visits from people in the community. It's, it's, um, you know, people who live in old fourth ward who live in Inman park. I mean, we've more oftentimes we've walked, you know, than we've driven. Yeah. And, um, and it, it's in a very interesting location too. You know, it has become kind of like that corner fixture as part of studio plex and like right next to the belt line. Yeah. And, um, it's, uh, it, it's, it's definitely something that I've always associated with that part of town. Like the Serp has is, is like, it's there. It's kind right. of like a beacon, yeah. you know, yeah. but, uh, being that for 10 years and watching, I mean, the reason I say that is like, that's your pre Krog street market, your pre everything else that's kind of happened around studio plex, the Beltline being finished right there, yeah. kind of like all the transition of like Irwin street market and more traffic passing, you know, through and, um, you know, potholes all around you, but not anywhere near you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Our favorite thing in Atlanta. Um, so that's, um, it's just, it, that, that to me is just so interesting that it, it's, it's kind of like always been there. It's like kind of like a lighthouse yeah. in, a, in a good way. Yeah. So I appreciate that. Thanks for the kind yeah. words. We but. can stop right now. We'll be done. Thank okay. you. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, but man, so within, you know, like this 10 year span and where we're sitting now, you, you open Dixie Q where we're sitting here in mm-hmm. Brookhaven. Um, you haven't been Brookhaven. This is a great opportunity for you to visit. I'm saying that really more for myself. <laughs> yeah. I need to get over to Brookhaven more, but, um, tell me about, tell me about where the idea came for Dixie Q. Um, you know, this, I, this place became available a few years ago. Uh, well close to, I guess two years ago now. Um, and it was a pizza place. And at the time I said, I was looking at opening up something next door, uh, more of a seafood concept. It didn't come to fruition. Um, Thanks to the city of Brookhaven. And um, so now I got an opportunity to open this up. I mean, it was a great, great location. It was already a restaurant. You know, I put a new hood in it, new equipment, got a smoker, a new walk-in cooler. I didn't really have to do too much to it. Put, I did it do a covered patio, put a garage door. I mean, it really wasn't a lot, though. It's a small, you know, place, like 2,000 square feet. But my inspiration really came from I'm getting older. So the older you get, I feel like I'm a little bit more closer to earth. Not putting me in the earth. 
<laughs> don't, don't, let's not take it wrong now. But you're I more just, down, kind of like down to earth. Trying not, to slow down. I'm very yeah. hyper though, so I'm, I'm finding myself as I'm getting older. I'm getting a little bit more slower, and I'm just trying to relate to the earth and burning wood and smoking wood and just like that kind of like uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. So, I I don't know. You gotta. It's like guys with tools kind of thing. You know, right. it's that kind of thing. It's just. You're fascinated with like low and slow and cooking this meat for 14 hours, brisket and pork shoulder, and you're doing ribs, you're making house-made sausage, and you're doing, you know, collard greens and red beans and rice. So I kind of got a little bit of influence in Louisiana with the with the Camellia red beans, and you know, it's just it was like this is easy. You know, I just have to execute, you know, get all the prep done, all the food done, and the execution on the line is pretty easy to mm-hmm. to maintain because I know staffing in Atlanta. And probably nationwide is a struggle right now. It's a challenge sure. to find good staff. And look at how much change is just. Yeah, it's a lot. And there's a lot yeah. of restaurants open right now. A lot yeah. of restaurants. So it kind of dilutes the whole staffing population. Um, and trying to find the good ones. You know, trying to right. pick up the good ones. Yeah. That really want to learn and really want to grow and be in this industry. So that's what my whole concept was behind this. Was like, you know what? I want to do barbecue. I want to do something that's different. I mean, and people are like, well, have you worked in a barbecue place before? Have you? Where do you get the inspiration from? Listen, I'm a chef. I love food. I can figure this out. This is not a big deal. It's barbecue. You know what I mean? So I think we've done a great job. We have more to do, but I think it's come a long way and I really am passionate about it. And, um, I'm really, I'm really, uh, inspired and, um, the staff we have here is phenomenal and we do a great job. And Thomas is the general manager and Karina is in the back kitchen helping us out with, she's been with me for 10 plus years. She was at Surpaz and now she's taking the kitchen here and she does a phenomenal job. So awesome. I'm, I'm really happy about everybody here. And, you know, I like the direction we're going in. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. What, what kind of barbecue did you eat growing up? Like what was, uh, well, was, was Louisiana, like? I, Dallas was kind of that Texas style barbecue yeah. that, I've, that I've grown accustomed to. So right. it's kind of a Texas style dry rub that we do with the brisket. You know, just use salt and pepper. We clean it, we, you know, clean it up a little bit, take some of the fat off and just salt and pepper only in the brisket. And then the pork shoulders, we make our own spice rub and the ribs as well. Um, the sausage got a little good spice to it, but it's a good fat and pork ratio. We use some brisket fat too, as well, from off the brisket. We nice. use that fat for the pork, pork sausage, um, and then we got some different seasonings we put in that. And, and we do a beautiful uh, smoked wing that we flash fry. Nice. Um, like I said, we do a, a I love we, and we wings. and we have something for everybody. So we do smoked salmon here because I'm like, I can't forget the people that want a little bit lighter option and somebody that don't eat yeah. meat you know so we do a smoked salmon here we got bowls we do a quinoa bowl a chopped salad that that changes you know we about to put figs on the menu uh, we have a bib lettuce bowl that's got roasted beets and cucumbers and so we try to be a little bit for everybody but the main staple is that barbecue but we still got some really great options um for those people that don't want barbecue yeah or heavy meat for sure and you know i mean i, th- I think the thing that i really love about barbecue is um i mean m- most places that i've gone that i mean I wouldn't even say like, you know, places that are doing it right. Mm. I love barbecue, mm. but you know, like we were talking about earlier, like if it's, you know, you have 19 sauces, like I don't want it to be like an yeah. Easter egg hunt, which yeah. one I like, you know I mean? Tell me what you think goes best with how you like barbecue. That's how I want to eat it. Yeah. You know, but when it's gone, it's gone mm. because there's only so much that you can essentially prep for one day because the size of your smoker doesn't grow overnight, right. you know, and then typically the size of a pork shoulder is going to be relatively the same size. Mm-hmm. So like you can only fit so much in there. And, uh, like the one time that I, I've never been to Franklin barbecue in Austin, but I've been to Salt Lake uh-huh. in, um, 
south of Austin, wherever. Yeah, it's, Texas. I know you're talking about, yeah. It's in Texas. It's Texas 20, is, 30 minutes outside of Austin. Yeah. Texas is a big state. Yeah. It takes a long time to drive through. <laughs> I've never done it. So from like the west like end of Texas all the way through the eastern border of Texas. Yeah. 10 hours? Really? Valerie's saying 10 hours. I think it's more like 210 hours. It's a long time, <laughs> especially if you uh, want to stop and look at the desert mm-hmm. Mexico to your right everything else in Texas to your left. It's great. Um, but, uh, but I do really, I do love that. Um, sorry, we can pause. No, we, yeah, I'm sorry. We closed it. I'm sorry about that, buddy. Yes, sir. Tomorrow, t- 11 o'clock. Thank you, man. I'm going to keep that in the episode. <laughs> Should have asked him what his name was. What's your name? Joe. Joe. Joe Schmo. Sorry, Joe. We're closed today. You can be on a podcast today, though. It's very different than barbecue. Can I get some free brisket yeah. tomorrow? <laughs> Is it okay if I come back? Can I have coupons? <laughs> um, sure. You may. Courtesy of the Atlanta Foodcast. Yep. Um, Smoke savings. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I, I think that's one thing that I really appreciate about barbecue is it's, um, it takes when, – when you're, when you're smoking something low and slow – and there's only so much that can essentially be prepared for one day of service that when it's gone, it's gone. Mm-hmm. You know, like now we've, we've been working on tomorrow's menu, what's available tomorrow, earlier this morning. Right. And you can't get it until tomorrow because we were doing the same thing the day before that and the day before that and the day before that. Yeah. That's not the typical, you know, it's, it's not like going to any other restaurant. And I like that most people are getting more accustomed to that as they're right. experiencing what I would say is good barbecue. You yeah. know, because I grew up, I won't call out any names, um, but it, it rhymes with uh, <laughs> rhymes with bunnies is the kind of barbecue that I grew up eating. Right, sweet, you know, cloyingly gross, nasty uh, barbecue sauce. But uh, I never had like real barbecue unless we were making it at home. Like my dad would slow smoke a right. pork shoulder or brisket for like twelve hours. Night you know? before, yeah, yeah. And um, but then like experiencing that in a in a really good you know barbecue restaurant, like even in Georgia, North Carolina, Texas, you know, other places I've been, um, it makes you appreciate the the labor, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you, I think you really start to understand labor in a restaurant from yeah. the perspective of barbecue because you can't just leave. You know, it's like, oh yeah, it's in, it's in there. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to go home. No, you're not like, you're going to stay here. <laughs> it's going to, it's going to take you all night. Yeah. It does so. take like the briskets and shoulders take 14 hours, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, if you want to do them right, you, you can only, you know, and, and we've been in business for a little bit over a year and a half now. So we kind of know the track of what Tuesdays are like and Wednesdays and Thursdays and yeah. try to get the pre-orders for the catering. So, we load it up depending on what the next day would, is going to look like, you know, yeah. um, and you kind of guessing every day. So sometimes that we do run out, but it's somewhat of a good thing, you know, I mean, yeah. make people want to come back for more. So yeah, for and sure. you just, people don't understand that how intense food takes to, you know, this is very simple preparation. You know, it's not like searing a duck breast or searing scallops or fish. Serpa is a little bit more. You need people that are really trained and understand right. how food yeah. is prepared. Like when customers say, oh, what time you come in at Serpez? I'm like, we get there at 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock? Wow, that early? You open for lunch? I said, no, we're not open for lunch. But you think we open in cans all day? I mean, this <laughs> stuff does take, I mean, you're breaking fish down. Yeah. You're making stocks that take 24, 48 hours. Yeah. Um, sauces, vinaigrettes, fillings. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's yeah. involved in opening the kitchen and getting the menu ready, you yeah. know? No, so, one's, uh, no one's developed the appliance that chiffonades your herbs for you. <laughs> exactly. Yet. Still you. use a knife. Thank you very much. Yep. Yep. Um, but man, you know, 10 years and within that 10 year span, you now have two restaurants. That's, um, 
I mean, again, like so much of my mind goes to like the progression of, of Atlanta. Cause I've only known it for about, you know, six of those years, you know, I mean, it was four years after you had already opened Surpass and, you know, the Beltline was kind of already, you know, on its way to, you know, yeah. becoming what it is now. And like the East side of town was just growing and growing. And, um, but, uh, it's, it's, it's so interesting to me that so much of like the culinary community and I would say just growth and semi renaissance that Atlanta's kind of experienced over the past five years, um, is, is kind of amazing that so, so many restaurants before this time period have come and gone and others have kind of become the established, you know, centerpieces of, of dining in the city. And that's what people are being exposed to, you know, for yeah. the first time of like, man, I just had, you know, Atlanta is an amazing food city, mm-hmm. you know, like it's still kind of, uh, you know, I mean, cause we're not a city that's built on Michelin stars, right. you know, but the, it, and it's not just about talent. You know, I, I think a lot of people get exposed to the neighborhoods and then how fun it is to treat dining in Atlanta as probably one of the main sources of entertainment. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, when I was growing up, there'd be more like Food wouldn't, I mean, it's, it was a big thing, but it was more club scene, you know. Now I think a lot of these restaurants are kind of interact, trying to put everything in their establishments so you yeah. keep people longer, you know, whether it's bowling or throwing darts or foosball or ping pong or, you know, different game nights and stuff. And so, yeah. you know, it's a different way of looking at things. Um, and, yeah, it is, a, you know, a little bit of a challenge in Atlanta now that they have a lot more restaurants and a lot more competition. It's a new generation, you know. It's yeah. Millennials are here and, you know. Uh, so you're trying to figure out exactly what they like and what right. they want to, um, you know, what they're looking for. So it's a little bit of a challenge, but I mean, it's it's fun to change and it's, yeah. it's develop uh, new ideas and uh, to grow, you know. So yeah, and I've got this like super dopey thing that I've like made up for the show, and like it's something that I I think is, you know, it's something that I really stick by because I think that there's there's people who do it really really well and very intentionally and then i think the others that kind of like stumble into it and it's like wow like you're absolutely right but you know i I love that everybody gets an interview on this show like in in their own way shape or form whether you're a chef or you own multiple restaurants or you have some sort of food business it's it's a collection of people who make atlanta the greatest city for eaters Mm -hmm. you know and it's like this again it's kind of like this dopey saying that i kind of came up with (laughs) but um but to me that that's that's such a beautiful collection of people that you can experience so much of what the city has to offer solely through something like Buford highway. Uh That's an amazing way to experience the city or just within like the four main neighborhoods that make up like the direct, like East side of Atlanta, like just Ponzi Highland, old fourth ward Inman park. And then maybe like, you know, Virginia Highland, Mm -hmm. like that's enough to where you can spend, you know, a couple weekends just coming back and forth and not have to go very far, you know? And it's, um, and different, well, not so much there, but Buford Highway, different cultures, different cuisines. Yeah, you know, for it's sure, very so much a melting pot. Yeah, but it's you know to me that that's that's so so much of how I've experienced the city, and that's how I would really perpetuate the story of how you can really get to know the city that you mm-hmm. live in. Um, but you're a part of that, you know, yeah. and it's it's so cool to to see you know how much of this culinary community has has grown you know, over the 10 years that Surpass has been in business yeah. and then, you know, the next 10 years and then Dixie Q and whatever else that you're going to start and grow. And, right. Um, but it's, uh, it's cool. I, I think, I think it's a, it's a really interesting time for Atlanta and it's only going to get better. Yeah, so. absolutely. I mean, there's a lot more people coming in. The city's definitely growing. Um, and the, in the food scene is definitely growing too as well. So, yeah. 
Uh, there's a lot. It's a lot of great things coming around. There's a lot of challenges, so it's fun. It's for sure, fun. definitely fun. Yeah. Well, Scott, this was awesome, man. Thanks for for being on the show. I need to do a better job. Oh, look, we're taking a picture. Hey now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I need to do a better job of getting up to Brookhaven. Yeah, so that's I can right. No, absolutely. Barbecue. Just and a little sidetrack from Brook, from uh, Beaufort Highway. You can slip yeah, on exactly. in. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. But I'll definitely see you over uh, over in Old Fourth Ward. Absolutely. So, yeah. Let's stop by Surpass when you get a minute. Yeah, for sure. Thank thanks, you so chef. much for having me. Yeah, thanks, Chef. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it. Many thanks to Chef Scott for joining me for this episode. And if you haven't been to Surpaz just yet, head over to surpazrestaurant.com to check out the menu. And every meal that I've ever had at Surpaz has been absolutely phenomenal. And make sure that you plan for an additional visit in the colder months to get your hands on some of that gumbo. And also plan a visit to Dixie Q as well. And their site is dixie-q.com. And make sure you save me a plate for when you visit. This podcast is recorded all over our beautiful city and edited over on the east side of town by me, your host. Hello again. Our design is headed up by JJ Getz. And if you like what you hear, you can support the show right now on Patreon for just $5 a month. I'm your host, Ben Getz, and you've been listening to The Atlanta Foodcast. Stay hungry, 